All right, guys, so a couple things as I'm getting ready to bring God's message to us today that I, um, I want to correct with everybody as I started the service today. Um, our sound guys were having some problems back there, and you heard that going on. It was my fault, not theirs. So oftentimes, you know, we look at them and think, what's wrong with them back there and stuff? I mean, not oftentimes. If something happens, we think it's their fault. It's not always their fault, but everybody looks at them. So it was my fault, all right? I didn't even have my mic on. So they were trying to turn it up. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. It was because my mic was out here. Uh, so they didn't know what was happening, and they were trying to fix something that was unfixable on their end. It was all up here, and there's a lot of needs here, okay? <laughs> so pray for me and for them as they deal with me. Uh, also, uh, this coming Wednesday for our youth worship night, which is at 6.30 every Wednesday. We're still doing that in person, still running the vans to pick people up and stuff. Uh, there's going to be um, a worship night, a water fight, it's a good time to do that, and an ice cream social. So uh, please come and join us for that. Uh, if you're a youth, if you're an adult, uh, plan your own party, okay? <laughs> All right. So I'm glad you're here. It's amazing to be in God's house with you and uh, just be able to be in his presence. We have a, we've been very blessed with an amazing worship team. I know online our sound isn't there yet. We're working on that. Trust me, it's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the technology, and we have a huge team that volunteers their time all the time. All of our worship people are volunteers. Nobody's paid staff back there. Nobody's paid staff. It's purely them giving of their time, their talents to God, and, and just just blessing us with what God has blessed them with, and we're very appreciative of that. But I do want you to know, if you, yeah, you can give them a hand. Thank you, guys, all of you, those that are here today and those that serve in the next few weeks, but also that um, as you listen online, I tell everybody that I talk to and who contact me online that our worship team is way better than they sound on there. That's a technical problem that, you know, our world has is, is got a lot of technology, but some of it is still struggling to keep up with what's happening. And so the blending of sound coming across when it's a group is difficult. When I speak one person, it's very clear and easy to, to go. So I just want you to know they're amazing. We're very blessed. God's good. I'm very excited to bring you God's message today. Can we pray together? Father, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus. You're amazing. God, I pray that you would help Dave to just... Be your mouthpiece today. <laughs> Thank you, God, for all you do for us. You're amazing. We humble ourselves before you, God, as we want to hear from you. We give you glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you um, one of the sections of Scripture, the very beginning of the Bible. And uh, that story is a very familiar story to people, and it's found in the book of Genesis. And as we read in the book of Genesis, the story of Noah, most of us have heard this story, but we're going to look at an element of it to speak to us and where we are today and what God is doing. Starting with verse number nine, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures. 
for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat. By the way, I'm going to read you these measurements. And, you know, obviously as we look in history and we're trying to figure out the measuring systems, these are not exact. None of them are, but it is an approximate guesstimation looking at historical stuff to try and give us something to go by. All right. Just so you understand that when we translate things, make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, leave an 18 inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat, put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and of every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. Did you hear that part? Will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for you and your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Just going to read right there and stop for a moment. Uh, actually, we're not going to read any more of that actual context in Genesis. We're going to jump in and grab a couple of verses in this story. But I want us to look at something specific about what God has given to us in this historical account. No matter what you look at in history and stuff, you know there is a flood story that happens in all the false faiths of the world because there's evidence of a flood that took place where the entire earth was underwater. There's a lot of debate and argument with people about a local flood and all this. No, the earth was underwater, the whole earth. God knows what he's doing, church. And we're going to look at a couple things here to get this story and this historical account that we know looking back, even as science looks into the earth and everything that's going on, the entire environment of our planet changed at one point in time in history, and it was right here. And things changed all together on the planet because God said they were going to change. But I want us to look at something because we've heard this story, most of us have heard this story. If you went to Sunday school, if you read anything about God and church, and even in the documents of the world, you know the flood story and the story of Noah. As we look at the historical account of God's happenings and his events and what he says and what it teaches us, we want to look at two things out of this story that are critically important for you and I right here, right now, today. Here's the thing that we want to point out first. In verse number 9, it said, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. The second thing we're going to bring out of that is verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Two incredible statements. Two incredible truths. This is something that you and I need to grab a hold of because when you see this, Noah was the only. And then Noah did exactly. Man, you talk about something powerful and true because church, it seems way too often, most of us are quick 
to make excuses for our shortcomings and failures. We want to like um, just say like, don't look at me. I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. You know, I, don't, I cannot tell you how many times people say that. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about obedience. When we look in the Word of God and we see what's happening right here with Noah, Noah did exactly what God said. Church, that needs to sink into us. Why did Noah do exactly what God said? Because he had a living relationship with God and he didn't even have the Holy Spirit like we do. But he knew God. He knew God's expectations and he lived them. It didn't matter what everybody in the world was doing around him. I'm talking about everybody. Church, it says God looked upon the earth and he found only Noah. He doesn't even talk about his wife or his kids. God says only Noah was living a righteous life on the face of the earth. So, instead of making statements like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, which I can't stand that statement. And I'll tell you why I can't stand that statement. It's because we're looking at ourselves and we're projecting something out there to the world that I'm just a sinner. I'm a nothing nobody and I don't arrive and I haven't done anything. And it's only by the grace of God I can even talk to you. No, God has called us, redeemed us, washed that sin away, and we're a child of God. We were just singing about it. Come on. Stop putting yourself down there and stop living down there, by the way, and start living in the redeemed life God has called us to. We're not talking about living a perfect life. But there's something that we need to learn from this story to us and understand something about what God has for me and you in our lives. Let's understand something when we look in the history of the Bible. At this point in time, the flood with Noah, obviously the law of God, which was given through Moses to Israel, was not in existence. Therefore, there was no written religious practice that was given to the world up to this point. All right? Didn't exist yet. But there's something critically important that we need to understand. We realize and recognize that from the time of the Garden of Eden, God himself had established a sacrificial system. We read these verses not long ago that when Adam and Eve sinned and they tried to hide themselves because of their shame and their nakedness that sin revealed to them, they put fig leaves together. But when God came to him, he said, I will cover you. And he killed an animal, God himself, took the skins and made clothes for Adam and Eve. So God clothed them with the very first sacrifice. Obviously, the Bible is not trying to give us the details of all of history. What God is showing us as it uh, presumes that God exists, and we all believe that in the beginning, God. There's no explanation of God. He is, church. Therefore, the Bible is sharing with us how sin entered the world and how God had a plan to redeem us. That's what the Bible's theme is. So as we look at that, there is obviously right there in the garden a sacrificial system that God ordained. Because the very next account of things that are happening in Genesis, as God removed Adam and Eve from the garden, and they are living their lives now out there working and sweating, and all that's going on in the world around them, we find that sin had grabbed a hold of the family, where Cain, if you remember, the very first murder, killed his brother Abel over 
their sacrifice to God. So the sacrificial system was already in place, and God accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. We are told that in Scripture. So we see that a sacrificial system was already in place from the very beginning because God had a plan. And as God is revealing his plan to us and we understand what's happening, church, we need to know something that is critical as well right here because now that we are at the flood, those that believe in a young earth uh, theory, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, just stay with me, believe that the time of the flood was around 1,600 years after creation. All right? Whatever time frame you put on it, I don't really even care. Those are one of those things that we can debate for no purpose. God's word is truth. I'm not worried about all the little minor details that don't matter. When we get to heaven, we'll understand everything. Okay? Just stay with me on this. We know there was a sacrificial system in place because when you read that story of Noah and the flood, God says this to him in Genesis 7. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal that I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. So there was a known sacrificial system and a known eating of what is right. Correct? God said so. This is prior to the law. So God is telling Noah something that he already is living because he's in relationship with God. And God says, Noah, you need to do this for yourself and for your family because I have a plan. So follow my direction. So we already know that God himself testified that Noah had a living relationship with God, that Noah worshiped God, and Noah lived in obedience to God. We know this. We just read the account from God's perspective. He was the only one. He was the only one. It's hard for us to grasp that. It's a little bit crazy to think about the fact that he was the only one worshiping God, having relationship with him on the entire planet. So church, some of us in the Christian community today feel like we're a small number. Feel like we're out there fighting a whole world that is against us. Look around you in the church right here. Those of you that are joining us online, look around who's with you. This is one little tiny spot on the planet. And we have fellowship and family and we have people around us that are serving God and following him. No one was alone. Nobody. Please get that. But Noah did not allow that environment in which he lived to impact his relationship with God. He did not give in to what culture was saying. He did not give in to the sin of the world. Noah lived righteously with God because he knew that's what God demanded. Therefore, Noah chose. Please hear this. Noah chose to live for God. He did not have the Holy Spirit to convict him, to empower him, to give him gifts, to show him and reveal the things of God. He simply chose to follow God's ways because he knew God was real. He knew what God asked and he was going to live it. Even if it was by himself. 
think about it. Come on, man, look at this. There is a lot of debate in the uh, Christian world. Like I said, we talk about a lot of crazy stuff, you know, and it's okay. It's just, we can get caught up sometimes. But when you look at the days of Noah, and they're trying to place it in history, and trying to determine the population of the earth, because people are wanting to know, like, how many people died? Okay. So when you think about Noah being the only one, and we look into it, I can tell you right now that all those that work into that stuff and whatever, I'm just saying, let me just put it straight out to you. The lowest figure of the estimated population of the planet at that time was 750 million. And the highest figures given by those who determine these things is 4 billion by this time. So whatever number you want to use or whatever stat you choose to follow in that idea of your mind thinking about that, it doesn't really matter what the stat is. The point is, whatever the number was, 750 million or 4 billion, Noah was alone. He was alone. And God, when he saw him, saw a man who was righteous. God said that. The book of Genesis is written by Moses, who did not come for many more generations. But when, when Moses was on the mountain with God, God was speaking to him about the history of the world. That's where we get all the accounts of these things from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy was God's revelation to Moses. Moses is the author of these books. And so we are getting a dictation from the creator of the universe about these events on the planet. I want you to know that because you think about this. In this relationship that Noah had with God, his worship of God and living in obedience, there were a whole lot of people who died. A whole lot of people died. The account states something significant for you and I that we have read that is critically important for us to understand how Noah was saved from God's judgment. He walked in close fellowship with God. We read that right out of the Word of God. He walked in close fellowship with God. And then we see in his actions that Noah was obedient. Right? Come on, man. So Noah did everything. That's what the Word of God says. Exactly as God commanded. So we see that not only did he have a relationship with him, but his life bared witness to this relationship. That he was living for God in spite of the entire planet's population living contrary. Fellowship and obedience, relationship and action. It does not matter what is going on in the world around us, church. It does not matter what is being propelled in churches. It does not matter what's being put out in society and culture, your family history, or anything else. All that matters is what God says, what God demands, and our response to what God has to say. That's what matters. I want you to know that God holds us accountable. He still holds us accountable today. Those of us that are living in the world today full of sin, we find ourselves often struggling God holds us accountable. God does not grade on a curve, church. 
We've got this crazy idea of, of ourselves and our life with God, and we're just like banking on the grace trophy. Please hear me right now. Is there grace? Is there mercy? Absolutely. But when we're just like banking on that and living how we want, you're in trouble. God demands something from us. And it's time we in the church step up to God's demands, not our expectations. Church, it's God's way. God doesn't give participation trophies just because you show up at church, even though we do in the culture that we live in today. He doesn't give out special Jesus awards, and my kids know all about that. See, they went to a private school back in Michigan, and uh, we went to this little banquet, and they were giving out, you know, best student, best reader, best math, and then special to Jesus to everybody else. <laughs> I <w> <laughs> We still laugh about it today and joke around about it because it's just hilarious, you know? Hey, you got all kinds of issues, but Jesus loves you. It's all good, you know? All right? I probably could have wallpapered my room with those if they gave them out when I was a kid. It's okay. I don't care about that. What I want us to see is something about the reality of my life with God. Church, today we know that the, the population of the world is about, what, 7 billion-ish, coming to 8 billion or whatever. And when you think about that, I want you to hear what God's word has to say about this because, you know, when we put into the ideas of Noah and the flood and God's judgment and the ravaging death that took place, when you look at the world's population today, and let's just use the stats that are out there in the world that say there's like 31% of the people, the global population, I have no idea how they figure this out, but it states that about 31% of the global population claim Christianity. So 69% of the people on the globe don't know Jesus. That puts us at a number of 4.8 billion people that are going to hell today. See, like, it's sometimes easy for us to kind of, like, not see that reality. But it's a reality. And a lot of people think, you know, there's no way. I've heard so many people say, there's no way a righteous God would throw someone into hell. And he's, you are absolutely right. He will not throw anyone into hell. We will choose to go there because we've rejected the Savior Jesus. That's why we'll go there. His word tells us that. John 3, 16, 17, 18. Read all three of them. And you'll understand that God says, the ones that are condemned are the ones that do not choose. It's not that God's not offering it. They do not choose. It's no different than the day of Noah. No different. Matter of fact, Jesus said that. Matthew 24, when Jesus is doing a teaching to his disciples and his followers, and he's talking to them about end times from the time of his death to the end of all time. That we've read in the past few weeks of those scriptures showing like time and history and end time events. Here's what Jesus says later in that same chapter on that very same subject. You ready? You've heard this. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. 
Now, I, I want you to hear that because it's critically important for us to understand exactly what Jesus is saying in the context of that message, in the context of Noah's day to where we live today. Because when you see this, it says people were living their life. That's all it's saying. People were living their life. They were living day to day for self. Remember? No one but Noah was serving God. It doesn't mean they didn't know. We know they knew. God wasn't like keeping himself from everybody on the planet, but Noah, God had established something that was to be shared person to person, family to family, generation to generation. That was God's plan. And God was doing that. We also know this, church. People were living their life for themselves. They were also ignoring the message of a coming judgment. Peter writes to the church and he brings something out to us that we need to see. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others... I'm stopping in the middle of that context because Peter's talking about the reality that God is a righteous judge and judgment's coming. But church, what we need to see this is in God's word it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He wasn't like in his backyard hiding, building a boat to protect him and his family. He was warning people about the coming judgment of God. And they were ignoring him and living their lives all the way up to the moment of truth where God's judgment fell. They did not care. They lived their own life. They did everything their own way. And they didn't give a care what God had to say about their life. Until the day Noah entered the ark. Do you know God's word says that God himself shut the door? Not Noah. Read the account. God said, that's it. Shut the door. You're done. I've had it. See? When God's word testifies that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, remember what we heard God say about Noah? Noah was a righteous man. God said that. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was telling people they needed to live right, that there was an expectation by God himself about their life. And as we read that scripture and we see that, God is telling us something, church. Jesus is telling us something. Jesus, in his reference to that day, is warning us and telling us people are just going to live for self. They're going to hear that preaching of righteousness, and they're just going to live for themselves anyway. Church, there are many people in the walls of churches who hear the preaching of righteousness, make excuse for the sin and the brokenness in their life. And they go out and they live for themselves anyway. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay with God. I'm not your judge. The people next to you are not your judge. God is your judge, but God knows. And he's not playing games. He's already proven that. Peter's pointing that out, saying, look, God is not like, oh, it's okay. I love you anyway. Come on over here. No. He said he cast out the angels of heaven themselves. He's already proven that he's a righteous God when he destroyed the entire planet, save one in his family. He 
He's showing us something, church. God's saying something to us. That he is a righteous God and he demands righteousness. God has set the standard. That standard is Jesus. There is no other standard. Not yours or mine or a church's. God's standard, and that's the only one that matters. People were living for self, ignoring God's word, not even caring. Noah lived for God, fully aware that God's judgment was coming. Telling people God's judgment was coming. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm sharing with you this moment. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we know there's a coming judgment. We know there's a real eternity. There's a real heaven and a real hell. Stop trying to kid yourself and just like ignore things that are in God's word that are truth because God is a righteous God and he is a righteous judge. There is a real eternity. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. God already told us, I've got some angels there right now because they did not live right. God's word also tells us that he created hell for those angels, not for humanity. The people that go there will choose to go there because they reject the Savior. That's what happens. Therefore, the people that are going to hell are going to hell by their choice. And that is a real place, and we in the church need to understand that because the statistics say that our people in the Christian community that don't believe that hell is a real place, that you just die and just disappear. Come on, man, that's reality. That's happening. That's being taught from seminaries as pastors are being taught to preach God's word to the people. We need to wake up in the Christian community that God is a righteous God and he demands something of us and there's a life that we're called to live for him. We know there's a coming judgment. We know we will give account for our lives. We know that God is good to his word. How many times has he proven it? We also know that God demands, not asks, not expects, he demands a life of trust, surrender, trust, and obedience. That's what God demands of us. The reason we ask the accountability questions every single week at the beginning, which I even talked about it today, is that we are to be living in fellowship, relationship with God every day. We see it right there. Noah had a living, worshipful relationship with God. That is why he heard from God, and that is why he did what God asked. You follow that? That's how he knew. He had a living relationship with God. Therefore, he knew what God was doing because God spoke to him. God spoke to him because he had a relationship with him. (laughs) Man, it's like, it's not that complicated. It really isn't. God's talking to us. We ask the accountability questions to challenge all of us, including myself, which I've told you countless times, I have alarms in my phone going off all day long, checking myself to make sure I am following the directions of God, fulfilling my spiritual disciplines of walking with him and praying and listening and being with, knowing what his word says, praying for you and other pastors and people, all those things like, Dave, you've got a life to live. I'm not earning my way to heaven I'm building a relationship with God. That's what it's talking about. There's no excuse for not living in obedience to all that God, listen to me, has revealed and challenged you to live. No excuse. No excuse. 
that you are not living in all that God has challenged you personally with in your relationship with him. You can't debate it with him. When God says it, it is what it is. And God's saying it to us because he knows exactly where we are, exactly what we need, and exactly what he wants. Therefore, God is speaking to us and calling us into this relationship with him that demands righteousness of our lives. So let's just simply look at what God has revealed to us in and through his word and then look at our response to it. I'm talking to us personally, individually, every one of us. We know what God says. We know what he's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We have no excuse. What has God revealed to you? I mean, seriously, I'm not... Listen, block out what Grandma said. Whatever was going on throughout your spiritual life, listen, when you entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into you, and He reveals truth to us. The Word of Jesus Christ is revealed to us in that relationship. Therefore, when we spend time in God's Word, when we spend time listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying, when we spend time being with God, not telling God what to do, but to be with, that's our accountability questions. We know what God's saying to us. We know what God's saying to us. And therefore, God is asking, demanding, saying, live it. Surrender it. Say yes to it. Do it. That's what God's saying to us, and we know it. There's no denying it. When you start getting confusion in your mind, stop, because that's not God. God is not the author of confusion, his word says. God is a God who speaks with truth, and he affirms what he is saying to us. Therefore, stop the negotiations. They don't work anyway. Listen to what God is saying to you. In this message today, I absolutely know it's true. God is speaking to every person and hears these words coming out of his mouth because God's good to his word and God's convicting you. God's the one that's speaking and saying, that's what I was talking about. You know this is what I want from you. This is what I told you not to do anymore and you're still doing it. See, listen, church, he's faithful because God is a righteous judge. He's not messing with us. He's not toying with us. He's not wondering what we're going to do. He's saying, this is what I want from you. There's a line drawn. Step on it. Don't try and negotiate over it. What has God said to you? See, when we spend time in prayer, when we read his word, when we listen for the Holy Spirit to speak, when we discern his voice. So people say, I don't know what God's saying to me. Here's the thing. You remember that you came to him for salvation. That was the voice of God. You remember the other voice that said nothing happened to you. You're no different. Yeah, that's the voice of the devil. Now you have an identification of who's who. Start listening to that one and shut that one up. It's that easy. When there's a voice telling you to do something wrong, guess who it is? Come on. Let's not complicate things. God's not like making this hard for us. He's written stuff for us in his word. Okay. Do you know what God's asked you to do? Amen. I'm asking you. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, this isn't a trick question. Do you know what God's asked you to do? Yes. Do you know what he's asked you not to do? Yes. Are you doing it yes. or not doing it? Yes. See how easy that was? See, there's no excuse for a no. None. It's, it's not okay. Why are we not acting on what God has said to us? Why have we not surrendered that? 
What in the world is that worth? Jesus said, what would it do if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Like, what in the world? Why would we ever make an excuse for something God has already said yes or no to? See, it is my responsibility to not only live that life, but to also warn those around me that there is a coming judgment. Do you remember the other judgment that was an isolated judgment on that city of Sodom and Gomorrah in the area around it? Do you remember that? God speaking to Abraham, I'd save it for 15 righteous, 10 righteous, 5 righteous. Finally, it's like, forget it, man, they're done. God said, I've sent someone in there to redeem Lot. For I've seen that he is righteous in the months of the, the mess that's there. Do you remember that whole story? Do you remember that? Church, as we think about that, you see, as Lot ran around to his family and his friends and saying, judgments come and leave, they laughed at him. He warned them that judgment was coming to the point where they were trying to gather things and finally the angels of God grabbed Lot by his hand and said, get out, I'm about to bring judgment down. See, God's righteous. God is good to his people, but God is demanding of what he says to us. See, your worship and fellowship and obedience is absolutely necessary if you have any hope of God's redemption. Please hear that again. Your worship, fellowship, and obedience are absolutely essential if you have any hope of escaping judgment and living in God's redemption. Some will respond, and I know this because it's a theological thing that's taught out there, that you're preaching a a salvation based on works, not faith. And no, I'm not. Not at all. See, when we, when we grab onto that line, we're trying to disassociate my responsibility of living for God. When I say, oh no, it's not about works, it's about living by faith. God's word has something to say to us. If we look in God's word, my response to that is this. God has a demand on us to live a righteous life. If our lives didn't matter, then why would he even tell us any of this stuff? James chapter 2, James writes specifically about this very topic. And this is what he says. Now someone may say and argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Church, there's a life of obedience that God demands of us. We have received this amazing gift that was free, which is salvation. God himself has redeemed us and called us his own. And now as we step into this new life with him, God says, you're now going to live for me, not for yourself. Self was what got you in sin. Now you're living for me. And God demands that we live for him. And our life will show a relationship with God just like Noah's life showed. Oh, church, man, we, we have so much... All right, here's action steps. They're going to be a couple minutes. I just want you to know that beforehand so you don't like close everything up and think about what's for lunch. I'm, I'm telling you that because I know my brain's the same way. It's like, oh, shut down time. We're done. We're not done. But we're, we're coming to a critical moment for you and I. 
So I want you to pay really close attention because I know the Holy Spirit is speaking and this is a message that God has inspired and is moving in. Hear me as you listen to what he's asking us. Church, do you personally know Jesus Christ as your Savior? See, you can know that. His word tells us that the Holy Spirit affirms that we're a child of God. Therefore, when we have that affirmation of God within us, no one has to tell me I'm saved. I know I'm saved because God said I'm saved. The church didn't do it. Family didn't do it. The pastor didn't do it. None of us can. Only Jesus can. Therefore, when I step into that relationship with God, God says, you're mine. And there's an affirmation of that truth that is within us and we know. So now, if you say yes to that question... I ask you the next one. Are you walking in worship, fellowship, and obedience with God? Did you hear all that died down? I'm not being sarcastic. Listen, when we hear that, see, when I asked if you've received Jesus as your personal Savior, it was a pretty resounding yes. Now when we ask, are you walking in worship, fellowship, and obedience with God, it got pretty quiet. Why did it get quiet? Because you see, we're searching our hearts and we already know God spoke to us about stuff. We're thinking back to this week and saying, wow, I screwed up. I'm not doing this or that. Listen, it's not a merit system. It's obedience. Please hear me. It's obedience. Listen, God said, Noah, this is what I want you to do. Remember that? God gave clear directions. Build the boat, three levels. These many animals, this much stuff, get food, get this. And the bottom line said this, Noah did exactly what God said. Isn't that cool? See, it was like Noah didn't have to figure it out. He didn't have to go to some boat store and ask him how to give him plans. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is how it's going to happen. I want you to know this is what I'm asking of you. Noah did exactly what God said. I'm like, man, I look at that and I'm like, God, that is so awesome. Look, stop wondering what's out there. Start living what you already know. Start living what you already know. Do exactly what God has asked of you, and you're going to be all right. We're not to live in fear. Just live in obedience. If you live in obedience, there is no fear. We were singing some amazing worship songs today that talked to us about that relationship, weren't we? And we were singing with all of our hearts and enjoying that. And now we're on the action steps and I was in walking worship. Are you walking in worship, fellowship, and obedience to God? And all of a sudden we're quiet. Why aren't we raising our hands and saying, thank you, Jesus. Yes, I'm walking with you and I know it. That's not a judgment calling me. I'm saying, church, that's the reality of our faiths. That's the real walk we have with God. All right, are you sharing your faith with others? See, we need to let them know they need Jesus and there's a coming judgment. There is one. Do you understand that your friends and family are going to face God for their life? And you're too timid to talk about Jesus to them? Why? There's a judgment coming. They're going to go to hell if they don't say yes to him. We need to share our faith. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The results weren't his. Those are always God's. But it was his responsibility to let them know that it's coming. He can't do anything about their decision. You can't change anyone. But it is our responsibility to let him know. Amen? Not grading on a curve. We already know that. Jesus' life is the standard. Here's some scriptures for you. We're going to read these. This is the final thing on my action steps. It's Hebrews chapter 10. 
These are the kind of verses sometimes we kind of read over and just try and blow past. We can't. It's God's word. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Wow, let that sink in for a minute. See, God's demanding something of us, isn't he? I mean, think about that. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifices that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. These are some strong words, man. This is like striking the fear of God in us, or it ought to. For we know the one who said, and this is God speaking, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. And he also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is God's word too, you know. New Testament. New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10. We, as God's people, are going to fall into his hands as well. God has an expectation for us to live a life for him, to share that life with others, to be the people that he has died to redeem. Are we doing it, church? There's no excuses. You already know. Uh, he loves you. Please don't like think this is a downer. It's not. It's a challenge. It's telling us that there's this life that's available to us that God has given and provided for us that we can actually live in and stop selling it short. Embrace it to the full. So we already said right here, collectively, we already know what God's saying and we either are or aren't doing it. So if you're in disobedience in either way, the key to the right relationship with God is always repentance, right? So just by the sound of your voices, I would say pretty much everybody in here needs to repent. Amen? I'm, I'm being, I'm not, I hope you understand my heart when this. I'm saying we, we've heard from him. This is God we're talking about. I'm, I'm hearing him too. He's talking to Dave. This isn't me just telling you what to do. It's God telling us what he expects of us. Therefore, God, we as your people collectively repent of our disobedience. You know what you need to say to God. Just say it to him right now. Just Let's just pause and let's talk to him. As you're listening, if you feel a need to come to the altar, please do. If you want to kneel where you are, if you just want to bow your head, I don't care. The key to all this is just obedience, right? It's that surrender, obedience. God's speaking.
as we, uh, we humbly kneel before you, all of us. God, we're here bowing in our heart. No matter if our physical body is, I know we are. God, we're bowing before you and recognizing that you are God. And Lord, this is not a game we're in. This isn't just a moment in life. This is a reality of our relationship with you in eternity. And so God, forgive us for those things that we've not stepped into. Forgive us for the things that we have that you said not to. Lord, restore us into the fullness of that relationship and allow us to be the people that you would look upon in all the earth and say, Dave is a righteous man. I want to be that guy, Lord. We want to be those people. We want to be your church. We want to make a difference. We want people to know. And so God, use us, we pray right now, in Jesus' name, to absolutely speak the truth, live the truth, and be the truth. God, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this truth that you challenge our hearts with. It is in our Savior's name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, church. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's time to celebrate. This is an amazing relationship he's made available to us. God bless you.